Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. I'm your host, Will Francis, and today I'll be talking to Stephen Roberts, all about GDPR and data protection for digital marketers. Stephen is head of marketing at Griffith College. He has over 20 years marketing experience internationally. A certified data protection officer and columnist for Marketing Magazine, he's on a mission to help marketers understand data protection and GDPR better. And his book, published last year, Data Protection for Marketers, A Practical Guide, aims to do just that. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks, Will. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Yeah, I'm really glad we've got you because this is something we've not really talked about on the podcast. It's an important area and I think it's something that all our listeners would really benefit from engaging with a bit more deeply and getting their head around, particularly as GDPR has matured and I think there are a lot, you know, the, the whole area is maturing a bit more. But you know what? Let's just start with a, an overview, set the scene, if you like. Just tell us what data protection is in the context of being a digital marketer. Sure. So I guess the background, first of all, Will, is that, you know, as marketers, as digital marketers, we're, we're one of the largest users of personal data within uh, our companies and for our brands. And if you look at the broader marketing technology landscape, uh, by my count, the last time I, I did a piece of research on it, I, there were over 8,000 marketing technology platforms available to us. So as a profession, we have plenty of opportunities to interact with personal data. And that's really where data protection and the GDPR comes in. So what is the GDPR? It's the General uh, Data Protection Regulation. It was introduced in May 2018, uh, introduced by the EU, and it was intended to provide uh, a kind of a harmonized data protection environment uh, across all of the EU uh, member states. And really, uh, you know, in terms of what does it mean for marketers? Well, look, there's 99 articles and it's very easy to get kind of caught up in, in the individual detail of them. But when you're talking about data protection, you're really thinking about uh, any personal information or information that could uh, identify a person that you or your business is using. Uh, and from a digital marketing perspective, obviously, um, that, that, that you're using for marketing purposes. Um, I think there are some key kind of principles and elements to it that we'll, we'll probably talk through during the course of this interview, but some elements would be transparency. So for example, um, am I being transparent with my consumers, with my potential customers as to uh, how I'm, I'm obtaining their data, what I'm processing it for, how long I'm retaining it for? Uh, you know, a, another one would obviously be accountability as well, that I have um, processes and procedures in place that, that can give people um, trust and confidence that their data is being used for the purposes for which it was obtained um, and, um, you know, that there's an adequate kind of lawful basis or basis under law for that processing. Um, it's fair to say that GDPR has very much been on all of our radars as marketers since it was introduced. I think part of it was the potential for these eye-watering fines, you know, uh, up to 4% of, of global turnover. And we are starting to see um, uh, quite uh, a number of large fines being issued um, by EU data protection authorities. Um, there was nearly 1.1 billion in fines issued in the 12 months up to January 2022. So it's not just, uh, I guess, an empty um, uh, threat or concern uh, in terms of the potential for fines. We are actually starting to see them impact not just the big tech firms, but also um, smaller and medium-sized businesses as well. That's interesting. 
just in terms of the level of understanding of that, do you think do you think most businesses understand GDPR, or is there still a big sort of you know is, is it a big mystery to most? I think people are actually quite fearful or uncertain about it. To be honest, I think it's a you know an acronym that if you throw into a conversation, people suddenly start getting um, quite wary about. Um, and I think part of that does come from. Um, maybe a, a lack of understanding um, of the regulation um, or also maybe the, the kind of word of mouth that has gone around um, with regard to GDPR. Um, what I would always say, and what was one of the purposes for which I, I, I wrote the book um, last year, a lot of it gets caught up in, in, in a lot of legal and, and compliance um, jargon, for want of a better word. And once you actually look through that, um, and look at some kind of clear case studies and clear examples and um, I guess get to the fundamentals of what the regulation is about. I think that removes um, a lot of concerns that people have and it gives businesses and, and digital marketers peace of mind. And where I would always start is what I was considered to be the kind of twin pillars, which are the um, do you have a lawful basis for, for processing the data and are you adhering to the seven data protection uh, principles within GDPR? So I think you're spot on, Will. There, there is plenty of confusion still out there. Um, but I think the answer is for us as digital marketers and, and, and marketers more generally to educate ourselves and, and get the basics and build iteratively. It sounds like you've found ways to simplify it for, for businesses and digital marketers. And you said there there's two pillars. You made it sound way less scary to me. You know, there's the lawful basis and then the seven key principles. So let's unpack that. Start with this lawful basis. So really, there are six lawful bases. Um, you can look at contract. You can look at uh, consent. Uh, there could be a legitimate interest. There could be uh, a legal basis. Uh, there could be uh, the, a vital interest on behalf of the data subject, or there could be a broader uh, public interest. And really, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll talk through them in a little bit more detail. So as marketers, consent it has to be freely given, it has to be unambiguous, specific and informed. So really, if you are going to set up a, an email list for your newsletter, you've got to make sure that people, if, they, if you're relying on consent, you've got to make sure that individuals are uh, have the information to make uh, a fully informed decision, essentially, and that that consent is affirmative. So they've had to express it in some way, be it they've had to actively tick a box or something like that. Yeah, they can't just be a customer that's bought something from you and you've got their email address. Um, you, they have to have explicitly said, I'm okay to receive your communications, right? Well, there's that. that's actually an interesting piece, Will. Um, maybe we'll do a slight di di digression down, down that route. Um, with customers, it's certainly uh, under Irish law, it's it's slightly different. So if, it's a, if you've got a customer and they've had an opportunity to opt out uh, at the time of, of purchase of the product or service uh, and they've chosen not to do so, you can contact them as a business within the next 12 months as long as it's offering them a similar product or service. So that's, that's an area that marketers sometimes, there is a little bit of confusion around. So generally, if it's uh, an individual who's not a customer, uh, the, the standard rule is they'd have to consent or opt in. But if they're a customer and it's a similar product or service, uh, you can you can work on that basis. You inform them at the time of purchase and give them an opportunity to opt out. Now, you can continue to communicate with them, offering them an unsubscribe each time you communicate, as long as each correspondence is within 12 months of the previous one. So that, that's a question I actually get asked 
quite a lot. Is that specifically under Irish law? Is is there is there something similar under GDPR or? My understanding is that 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 is similar because it's coming through um, the e-privacy directive, which is uh, a linked piece of legislation to the GDPR, but slightly separate. Um, but I would recommend any of our listeners that are are operating outside of Ireland just to you know to to double check that within their their local laws. But that 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 is a, a, a kind of a a difference between customers and non-customers. Now, when we go back to non-customers, absolutely, they have to they have to consent uh, in an affirmative opt-in manner. Um, so that that was the first lawful basis. The second one would be contract. So obviously, if I let's say I'm signing up to a a mobile phone contract, um, they'd obviously have a requirement under that to capture certain information. It could be billing data. It could be you know my address, that type of thing. So if it's if it's required for the for the processing under a contract. Uh, that's another basis. Um, let me see where where are we after that. So legitimate interest. So that's quite a broad one. This was the one that got a lot of um, uh, a lot of interest around it because a lot of us felt, well, this is kind of this is there's the loophole. So legitimate interest. You're really it's a three part process. You're looking at purpose, necessity, and balance. So you're looking at the purpose of the processing, as I mentioned, and whether um, that can be achieved in in a different manner or a manner that doesn't involve. Um, uh, data processing of, of individuals' personal information. You're looking at the, the necessity of it, and then you're looking at balancing um, the rights of the business with the rights of an individual. So that's on that side. Then the next three are, um, uh, you, they're maybe slightly less relevant to, to marketers, but you've got, if there's a vital interest, so that's obviously if, if, if somebody is in um, uh, personal danger, um, their vital interests are threatened, and they're not in a position to give consent, you have the, the ability to process their their personal data for that particular purpose. So typically, maybe there could be a medical issue or something like that, um, where their own their own um, health or person is in danger. Uh, there's a public interest, so that could be a public health interest, or it could be, um, you know, a lot of the examples we've seen recently in terms of businesses and uh, government bodies processing around COVID. Um, and then lastly, you would have if there was a lawful basis, and again, or, or based under law. So that could be. Um, revenue processing your your financial details, or it could be the, the 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 statutory body for like Irish Water, for example, processing information only because they've a or a motor tax, for example, because they've 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 something under law that allows them to do that. So so those are the the kind of six uh, lawful bases, and then you pair them up with the second pillar, and that second pillar is really around the principles. And I always find, or I, I genuinely generally find. That anytime someone has a concern or a query within their business as a digital marketer, usually if you go back to these two pillars, you can you can get fairly close to the the root of the problem. So, not to take too long on it, but just to talk you through those seven uh, principles. So, it's got to be lawful, fair, and transparent. So, there's got to be that basis in law that we just chatted about. It's got to be fair in terms of would there be a reasonable expectation? This is how the data is being used. You got to be transparent about it. So, you got to provide that information. Let's say if you're if you're getting consent for an email. Uh, marketing campaign, for example, or a newsletter? Uh, are you being transparent as to how that data is going to be used and retained, etc.? Purpose limitation. So you're only using the data for the purpose for which it was originally in- obtained. And then data minimization. So again, as marketers, we tend to kind of go, ah, oh, look, I'll, I'll ask that question on the survey just in case, well, just in case I'll need it in the future. And really, you know, do we need it? Um, what's the minimum amount of information we require in order for the particular processing to take place. Accuracy, so if you're holding information, it's got to be accurate. 
Um, so if somebody has obtained information from you or I for a marketing campaign, for example, uh, and there's an incorrect address or a name is wrong or some other element of, of personal information, we can go back and uh, request that that be amended. Storage limitation. Again, that's a key one. Have a retention document in place. That's probably one we might return to in, in due course. You know, only retaining information for as long as you've, you've originally um, stated you, you would do so or for the requirement of that particular pro- uh, processing. Integrity and confidentiality. So all aspects of security of the data. And then the last one is accountability. And accountability is kind of this overarching theme. It's really about how do you show that data protection is a living, breathing kind of thing within your organization. So have you processes? Have you policies? Are you keep, you know, is there documented proof of how you approach data protection? That's interesting. I mean, now you talk, now you talk about them, it does seem quite clear. Um, although there is a lot around it that is about reasonableness and fairness, and it is subjective, you know, like data, data minimization. Well, who's to say I don't need your shoe size? You know, because I, I think with also this, because of this issue with third-party cookies going away, all marketers are being told you must gather your own data on your customers, first-party data. So if you are a shoe shop, don't rely on, these kind of like uh, middlemen, Google and Facebook to help you reach the right customers. Just find out more about your customers, find out their shoe size or find out their gender, whether they've got kids, etc. So you can off- offer them more relevant products. Um, am I ever in danger of straying? For instance, if I'm a shoe shop, is it okay to ask if someone's got kids and what everyone's shoe sizes are? Or what do you think? Well, it depends. I mean, we've we've talked about, I mean, if, if they're already a customer, you will have... Um, quite a bit of data on them. And again, you can reach out, presuming they've been given the opportunity to opt out at, you know, at the time that they, they bought the, the set of shoes. Um, you know, you can reach out again with a similar product or service. So if it's a, you know, it's a size 10 shoe or whatever it might be, well, then you can, I, I would think it's reasonable if you've informed people at the, at the outset. Um, where, it's not a, <clears throat> where it's not a customer, and you're looking to obtain the data again. It's just being transparent, you know. And, and you're right; it's there. It is a lot about reasonableness um, and fair use of data. So I think you've got to look at it in terms of, you know, would would you or I reasonably expect this that this data was being used in that way? And when we gave our consent, uh, you know. Was this covered by that? Were we transparent and upfront about it? If on the front page of uh, the, sh- the online shoe retailer they say, uh, "What's tell us your shoe size and gender, so we can send you the latest products," I mean, you would reasonably expect that they're going to store that data and they're going to use it to, you know. So you're right. I think it's that's very that's very transparent, isn't it? And everyone knows what's happening. I think so. I think, and as well, I mean, again, you know, you've got an opportunity on your website to outline exactly how you're going to use that information. Mm. Uh, And that's really where digital marketers and their companies should spend time making sure that you're being transparent and then just adhering to it. And we talked about one of the the lawful bases being, or sorry, one of the principles being around um, kind of uh, storage limitation. So don't suddenly be holding that for another 10 or 20 years without a mm. uh, lawful grounds for doing so. Um, you know, so it's mm. it, that that's why I always say that I, I feel they are the twin pillars, the, the principles and the lawful bases. If you allow yourself to be guided by them, they generally answer most 
of the queries you would have as a digital marketing team. And going back to your point about reasonableness, Will, you know? It's so interesting that, isn't it? I I studied law in my 20s and um, I was really surprised when doing so how much of law comes down to the, what what is in, in English law anyway called the reasonable man test. I don't know if there's an EU or an Irish equivalent. Um, and they still, they still have, it's a really antiquated thing, but in English law, they still talk about this hypothetical man on the Clapham omnibus. I don't know if you've ever heard about this. I haven't. I haven't. No. And it's, it's the, it's a very old fashioned legal way of saying the average person in the street. Yeah. And, and the, the, the test is would the average man on the Clapham omnibus, which is like a, an old style bust in South London, um, <laughs> would they think that this was fair and reasonable so would your average person in the street think it's fair and reasonable and it was just it really astounded me how much of law came down to that because at the end of the day you can't codify everything you can't put every rule down on paper with very clear boundaries a lot of it has to come down to you know for a law to be not be like a billion pages long for a statute not to be a billion pages long there just has to be some basic kind of guidelines and then you know reasonableness and fairness so i think your own sense of that should definitely be a guiding light when uh, when managing data right I, I i think so will i think so if you asked yourself or most of us listening asked would i reasonably expect my data to be used in this way that's a pretty good guide for anyone when they're looking at how personal data uh, is is being used within their firms now obviously you have to go back to the principles, the lawful basis, etc. But if you're looking for a rule of thumb, w- would I, if I was this customer, would I reasonably expect my information was being used in this manner and for this purpose? Uh, and as you say, it uh, like the the Clapham example. I think that you know that that is a pretty good guide. Uh, you know, it's it, it's interesting in a way as marketers, we're in this long. Uh, running debate around, you know, is marketing an art or a science? And, and probably, you know, for my 20 odd years and it, it fe- always feels like it's a mix of both. But then you look at an entirely different discipline like law and data protection and you realize that there's also a heavy amount of context there, isn't there? You know, so yeah. sometimes I think we look at other disciplines and go, oh, gosh, it'd be great to have, you know, these firm fixed scientific rules. But, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the, the reality is an awful lot of human life is around uh, judgment calls and and aspects of data protection are no different. Hello, a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying our podcast series, why not become a member of the DMI so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real-life insights from the world of digital marketing. Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game to sign up for free. Now back to the podcast. Well, that brings me on to wonder how you got interested in this particular area then, you know, thinking about uh, how we kind of weigh up different industries and professions and disciplines. How did you get into this? Yeah, um, good question. Uh, well, as I mentioned, and, and as you said at the outset, I've been in marketing um, for a little over 20 years at this stage, and mainly within the kind of tourism, heritage, education, kind of not-for-profit sectors. I guess those would be the the, the, the various sectors I've had marketing roles within. But over the last five to eight years, I'd increasingly noticed data protection um, aspects or issues crossing my desk. And it kind of sparked a, a broader interest. And I, I kind of said, look, I really need as a marketer to to know this well and to, and to ha- have a, a detailed understanding of it. And it kind of prompted a journey, well, to be honest. So uh, I studied to be a certified data protection officer. I knew GDPR was was upcoming. Um, 
so I took a, a postgraduate course in that area and then and then got the DPO certification. And then I got involved with a data protection committee in the college here in Griffith. So we're uh, we're one of the largest uh, private third level institutions in Ireland. So we'd have over 7,000 learners across the our campuses. And uh, I was very involved in setting up the data protection committee there. Um, I started then writing articles on data protection for Marketing Magazine and uh, a number of other national and international publications. And it just, going back to, I guess, the, our earlier um, conversation, uh, there seemed to be a gap for uh, talking about data protection in a way that wasn't overly reliant on compliance or legal terminology, and to put it into kind of very matter-of-fact, straightforward um, examples and, and, and descriptions. So that just led to then I had the opportunity to um, to, to to write the book last year for Orpen Press, um, Data Protection for Marketers. And, and as I say, I, I you know, as a marketer for more than two decades, I knew the issues that we face and having been involved in in data protection for for many years at that stage i felt i could give a fairly clear sighted um uh kind of uh, view to the to the whole area and try and make it practical and maybe not try and cover <clears throat> every single part of gdpr and its minutia but to to guide on the key pieces like the lawful bases the the principles um you know the rights of individuals um all of those areas so that, that that's really how the journey kicked off you know yeah and i suppose coming to it as a marketer you you understand that unless this stuff is actually actionable and applicable then it's it's kind of useless and like you said a lot of the existing information out there is to it's in legalese it's it's not in the kind of language marketers will engage with and i think that's why it has been quite just this kind of scary kind of ominous thing um this spectre uh, that looms over marketing a bit that people kind of, yeah, sometimes completely ignore because they just can't deal with it or they just don't understand or they implement badly. I mean, I do wonder about when GDPR came in 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 May 2018, I feel like there was a panic and I felt, you know, I felt caught caught because I was still doing, I still had some clients, I was still doing some marketing consultancy then I kind of fully transitioned to just telling other people how to do it now. But um, yeah, and, and I just felt like clients were actually kind of asking me to make poor decisions on their behalf. I think knee-jerk decisions. Was it a mistake? You know, like a lot of small to medium-sized businesses were essentially chucking away their entire email lists. Uh, well, or they were asking people to resubscribe and, you know, a very small proportion did. Was that the right thing to do? Well, yeah, that's yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think to go to the outset of your of your of your question, there was definitely fear on the part of marketers. We, I, I guess there's two two elements to 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 answer really. The first one is I think a lot of it came from the fact that many of us didn't know what data we had. Uh, we hadn't necessarily audited um, correctly. There's a lot of churn in marketing, so marketing manager A is in for a number of years. Uh, he he or she and their team obtain a lot of data. Uh, they move on. The, maybe the record keeping, particularly in small and mid-sized businesses, isn't as strong as it, it it could have been or should have been. Spread across various systems, not really very kind of organized. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we've all faced that at, at some point. So I think that was a wake-up call when GDPR came in, and people really hadn't audited their data. On the second part of it, you know, if the data that you have, if that's old leads 
it, you know, if it's been obtained over, you know, a long period of time and really it, it exceeds what it was uh, originally obtained for, you know, going back to those principles again, uh, the purpose for which it was originally obtained um, stored only for the length of time for that purpose, you know, it, a lot of databases did need cleaning up. I mean, I'm sure like myself, Will, you can remember when uh, you had a data, uh, you know, a database target of just grow it by X amount. And really, I'm not sure that that's the, that's the right way to go. It's a lot of it is about having the right data. So I think there is a benefit. And a lot of us are paying for, you know, if you look at marketing technology platforms, a lot of us are paying based on the volume of leads we have. So it's about having the right um leads for your business. And I think GDPR actually did many of us a favor um, in forcing us to look at that, audit it properly. And rather than just having 10,000 people of which maybe 9,000 were lukewarm, you actually had a smaller database that was properly effective and you were getting a a proper return uh, from it. So do you think then there is a business case for this stuff? I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I think first of all, look, the reality is it's you know, it's a requirement under law. Um, but there is also a business case as well. First of all, we're seeing we're complete we're we're kind of more and more coming into a time where a data is kind of the the new oil or the, you know, it it's basically fueling the 21st century economy. Um and at the same time, people are more and more aware that their data is being used um by big tech firms, by businesses in general. So I think there is a benefit to businesses more broadly, just in terms of that trust uh, and from a reputational perspective in in being very sound uh, in terms of their data privacy and data protection practices. Um, I, and I think that will increasingly come to be the case. But there's broader uh, aspects to it as well. Um, the first one, as we say, is there, there's a clear marketing and business benefit from having um, audited your, your databases and having, you know, uh, clean databases that are, that are, that have effective leads and effective contacts in them. Um, The second part is that, you know, you can't underestimate, particularly for a smaller, medium-sized business, the amount of um, upheaval that can happen if you get an access request in and you don't have processes in place to deal with it. Uh, If there's a data breach and you don't realize that you have, you know, 72 hours to report that, um, you know, or you don't have processes in place or the, the one person that has experience of this is, is away or they're sick or they're, you know, that can really clog up a business for for a significant amount of time. And the other side of it is data protection authorities have significant powers. They can suspend processing. It's not just necessarily a fine. So, you know, there's there's a carrot and a stick element to it um, <laughs> is, is the honest answer, Will. Yeah, because that's it. It seems like it's all stick, right? And I think, you know, if if I was the owner of a twenty person business or I'm a, the finance person of a hundred person business, um, yeah, what's the argument to me um, that we should actually spend time on this? Because I'm just interested in making money and and making the bottom line look as healthy as possible this quarter, this year. But as you say, it's about being ready to respond to any data requests from customers. It's about quality over quantity and and going forward for many years to come, having better data practices, right? Uh, and building that foundation now, getting the house in order now, because it's kind of unavoidable if it is all a mess, isn't it? But then 
it's not just a thing you do for now. Like I say, you, you're building a foundation for many years to come of having more efficient practices that reap benefits from month to month, year to year, for, for forevermore. Yeah, I, I think there's another aspect to that, Will, and we, we probably haven't talked about it that much as yet, but really the ongoing importance of training. So we know as marketers that there's a huge level of churn generally within our industry. Um, you know, It was always a sector where people tended to move quite regularly, but that's been exacerbated by obviously the impact of COVID and, and lockdown. And really, you know, it's kind of a, a slightly worrying statistic is that up to 90% of data breaches are due to human error. So really your business is only as compliant as the least trained member of staff on your team. Um, so there's two aspects to the training. The first one is, you know, a, a lot of us would have undertaken training back in May, 2018 with the with uh, GDPR, uh, with, with its arrival. Um, but you've got to, continue to uh, undertake training of existing staff as well as new staff because the GDPR is, you know, it, it, that that law is bedding in now at this stage, as you say, it's four years plus um, since it came into effect. Um, and really, you know, starting with training and having a regular commitment to training is a great way of maybe reducing the fear factor and making sure that people are thinking about the, the key aspects of data protection when they're going about their day-to-day -day roles um, within digital marketing. We've talked about GDPR a lot. Is that, is that going to become the template for the kind of regulation that's going to be, I suppose, inevitably rolled out in other parts of the world, do you think? I think it is. Um, I think it is. I, th I think that GDPR has... Okay, so if you look at it from the, the, the EU's original ambition was this harmonised data protection environment across the EU. I think that is still an ambition yet to be realised. Um, there are still local nuances in individual countries, but it has definitely sparked a wave of similar legislation around the world. You know, I, I probably one of the best known um, uh, kind of laws internationally would be the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which mirrors... Uh, not all of GDPR, but substantial amounts of it. Then you've had new data protection laws in China, in Singapore, in Brazil. So it it very much has been the catalyst for um, uh, countries around the globe to really look at um, their data protection laws. Now, for businesses, it creates a minefield because if you're trading internationally, you have to not only, and let's say you're based in in Ireland, and in my case, for example, you've got to be aware not just of the EU as GDPR, but you've got to make sure that, you know, if you're trading into California, for example, that you're adhering to their uh, local laws. So it's it's becoming, in my view, more complex rather than less. But that's probably more of a reason than any to make sure that um, people are getting trained up, that they are aware of um, the requirements. Um, but it, it is it, it is challenging. And certainly for multinational uh, marketing team, team of digital marketers, it's, you know, I, I can see it going more in that direction rather than less in the coming years. I mean, I suppose I've always, I've always worked on the assumption that, you know, if you, if you're compliant with GDPR, you're almost certainly okay with anywhere else in the world because GDPR would be, I'd say, you know, it seems to be the most, uh, from my layman's understanding, the most stringent. And also, it seems very likely and very logical that everywhere else will kind of catch up with that. So is that a kind of good default way of working, do you think? 
Yeah, again, with a, look, you're, you're still going to need to check the local laws, but it is a good rule of thumb, Will. Back to, and that's really what we're trying to talk about during a lot of this discussion. Yes, I think it's reasonable to say that the GDPR ha, you know, has one of the highest um, compliance bars in terms of uh, its data protection requirements. And most companies don't want a twin track or multiple track approach. They're going to go, okay, what's the highest standard we have to hit? Let's adhere to that. And then everything else will, you know, if there's, if there's slightly more lenient legislation in other uh, countries around the globe, well, at least we've hit this bar of the GDPR and that's, that's kind of more broadly covers. That said, there are, you know, if you are sitting within a multinational um, uh, digital marketing team, there will undoubtedly be local nuances. It could be what, cookie consent. It could be, you know, um, it is worth chatting with your legal and compliance teams. But again, if you're in that situation, you should have access to reasonable resources within you know, firms of that size. You talked about um, businesses being fined for this stuff. I'm curious, what have you got any examples of a- the actual breaches that have happened that have in- ultimately incurred fines? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll try and avoid naming names per se, but so, some of them, um, certainly with the technology firms, a lot of it seems to, to relate around transparency and not being completely transparent in terms of how people's data is going to be used or maybe shared with third parties. Um, when it comes to smaller businesses, the examples that I would have seen would have been um, maybe, you know, human error where somebody has sent you know, some sensitive data to an individual that they shouldn't by accident because maybe the CC field was copied in wrong or, you know, and then it even comes down to minor things like people using the CC field rather than BCC in their email and suddenly it goes out to a a large group whose information has been shared uh, unwittingly. So it's, you know, then you've got the very large examples has been hotel firms and uh, airlines where they've had cyber attacks or data breaches and it could be millions or tens of millions of um, people's data being... Um, because malicious actors have actually gotten in. Malicious actors. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a real mix, Will. It's a real mix. But I would say with the s- smaller businesses, a lot of it comes uh, down to... Um, Careless spilling of data. Yeah. Yeah. That that type of thing, you know, or else that they just haven't gone back to those twin pillars in terms of storing it for only as long as it's needed or retaining it for for only as long as it's needed. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's actually what I, again, maybe most relevant to our Irish listeners, but I'm sure the UK's um, ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, is similar. But there's very good case studies in their annual reports. Now, you might go, oh, God, you know, I have to read through uh, this uh, this annual report in data protection. They, they often have some good examples of firms who've fallen afoul of, you know, um, uh, it could be uh, particularly around direct marketing, actually. Um, you know, people who've used databases in the wrong way or they've, there was actually an interesting example in the, the Irish Data Protection Commission's report. I think it could have been its most recent one, certainly within the last two years. But you had insurance companies that might be contacting people as a reminder that their policy is up for renewal. But within that, they're actually packing that message with a lot of marketing information. And the DPC has come back and said, that's not really a, a, rem- a renewal reminder. That's more of a, a marketing piece. It's funny, actually, the ICO in the UK, I've just looked up their annual report. They said in 2020 slash 21, we issued three fines totaling £39.7 million. Mm. 
And the biggest one was uh, in October 2020, we fined British Airways £20 million pounds yeah. for failing to protect the personal and financial details of more than 400,000 of its customers. Found that the airline was pr processing a significant amount of personal data without appropriate security measures in place. And they did not detect a cyber attack that in, a in 2018 that went on for more than two months. Um, and... Yeah, so basically, yeah, similarly with, with Marriott, they find Marriott uh, $18.5 million for, again, failing to keep millions of customers' personal data secure. So it's that, there's a running theme there, as you say. Um, and where there are large, well-known companies like that, they are natural targets for malicious actors who, who know that. Because we all assume, God, a company like that, I mean, they, they'd have all this stuff locked down, right? But... Hackers know that that's not the case. They know that everyone's only human and that things get missed. And these big famous companies um, do, do can leave things in um, an encrypted form. Well, that's it. Well, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, those are two, and they were two early kind of headline finds as well, not long into the GDPR. Um, and really, I guess going back to you say, well, look, why, why should a business concern itself with GDPR? Well, there's a perfect example there. There's here's you and I talking about, you know, large global brands whose reputation has definitely been impacted by that. It's still a bit, you know, uh, you can still read through uh, what exactly occurred online and it's not going to help their, you know, uh, consumer trust. Um, and really, that's that's part of our remit and our role as, as marketers. We're the voice of the consumer within our businesses. Um, and really, we should be you know, we should be on top of this stuff. Uh, certainly, we should be a voice within the company um, advocating for that because I think so many of us get, you know, there's a lot of discussion around brand purpose and uh, et cetera, uh, as you and I both know. And I kind of feel that runs a little bit hollow if we haven't kind of looked after the nuts and bolts of what's required under law. Um, and nothing to, to do with any of the specific firms we've we've chatted on, but I just feel more generally that sometimes as marketers, we rush off and look at the next shiny thing, whereas in actual fact, maybe before we we, we delve into brand purpose, we, we start to look at, well, for the people that have, you know, uh, trusted us to give us their data, you know, are we auditing it correctly? Do we have the right procedures in place? Are we, you know, are we storing it effectively? Are we, you know, all of those points. Um, I, I really think we, as a, as a profession, it's, it's useful for us to take some time around that. Okay, that's really interesting. Well, look, I know our time is um, running short. What I would love to get out of you for our listeners is, could you give us five or thereabouts um, practical steps, like actionable, hard practical things that listeners should go and do right now after listening to this episode to get their uh, data protection practices and processes in better shape. Absolutely. You're, you're putting me on the spot here, Will. <laughs> no problem, no problem. And I'll try and keep it to five. And look, listeners will probably say, gosh, I think I've heard Stephen say that already. And, and you know, they're right. I, some of these we will have covered, but there's a reason for it, you know. That's all right. So the first one I would say is audit your data. How can you be compliant if you don't know what data you hold and how you process it? So there's just multiple benefits to that. Uh, you might actually spot opportunities that come from, from it. You'll have leaner databases. You'll reduce the risk profile of your, your firm. You'll have more confidence in the marketing that you're doing day to day. So that's the first thing. Second thing is 
you know, look at the processes and procedures. So we talked about things like an access request comes in. So who's going to respond to that? You have 30 days to respond. Now, it can be extended by a further 60 if it's a particularly complex request, but typically it won't be. Who's going to look after that? Um, if you're looking at new procedures, uh, you know, around, or sorry, new platforms or ways of data processing, have you data protection impact assessments? Uh, that, have you that template in place as part of your process and procedure? So that's the second key one. Take time around that. The third one, I would say, is regular training. We talked about it again. There's a lot of churn in our industry at the moment. Um, I would say training for your existing staff is as important as induction and onboarding training for your new staff. It's got to be, you, you rightly mentioned, Will, we all have quarterly, half-yearly, annual targets. They're rightly the top-of-mind focus for any marketer. It's through regular training that we also keep in mind that we have uh, uh, you know, a big requirement around um, data protection, best practice. So, I would, I would say that's the, the third thing. The fourth one, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Get the basics right. Start with the principles and the, and the, law, the legal basis. That, that's not all of GDPR, but it'll certainly start to give you trust and confidence that you're, you're, you're building iteratively towards something. And in fairness, most companies in my experience, um, and certainly anything I've heard more generally out there, most companies are still building towards you know, that kind of state of, of perfection around their data privacy culture. So don't, don't presume, you know, don't presume that it's beyond you. Just start, like with anything, take one step after another, build from the basics, and over time you'll find that you'll, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get there. And then the fifth one is really identify champions. First thing is this should be led from the top. This isn't just a marketing requirement. The board, <clears throat> the executive team, they should be talking about the importance of data protection uh, and keeping it alive. Um, I definitely think identifying data protection champions within digital marketing teams is hugely helpful if you've got, you know, multiple locations. Um, no compliance or legal team is going to be able to keep an eye on, uh, on every aspect of a business that size. So identify someone who's going to maybe talk about it on the, the weekly marketing uh, team meeting agenda or is going to send around stuff if there's a change in e-privacy laws or an update on UK GDPR, for example. They send something around just so that it, you know, it remains top of mind. Just so it's someone's job to be thinking about that and be responsible for it within marketing. You know, it's, it's everyone's job in one respect because it goes back to that thing of that least trained staff member. But having somebody that may, might have a bit of, a, of an interest or an enthusiasm for it means it's just... You know, it's just there along with all of the other dialogue around zero party data and whatever else is, is going on at the moment. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that they, they sound like practical, actionable things that we can go away and do. I think that's uh, that's really valuable for people. And uh, I would uh, I would recommend that people do that. I've only got one last question for you, Stephen. Tell our listeners before you go uh, where they can find and connect with you online. Sure. Thanks, Will. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably the handiest is is LinkedIn. Um, I'm probably most active there. So Stephen Roberts-Marketing would be where you'd find me there. Twitter uh, at Stephen Roberts 1. And then obviously with the book, uh, Data Protection for Marketers, that's available on Amazon. It's in Waterstones, all, all good bookstores, uh, as the saying goes. Um, and yeah, look, I'd be delighted to hear from listeners. And we'll link to all that in the show notes of the episode as well. So listeners can check out your book and uh connect with you online. Well, you know what? That was really useful. I have come out of 
the last 50 minutes smarter and more informed about this stuff. Uh, you, you've got a really nice, simple way of getting it across, and I really appreciate that. So, um, yeah, thanks a lot for for taking the time with us. It was great to chat with you, Stephen, and uh, hope to chat to you again soon. Thanks, Will. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about transforming your marketing career through certified online training, head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Thanks for listening.